I'm a Venice, California-born, Los Angeles-based sports fan, one that has played, coached, announced, and promoted sports my whole life. My love affair with sports started in my own backyard and has led me to this podcast. Thanks to the support of the Amateur Athletic Union in East Bay, I'm excited to bring you Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Hello and welcome to the third installment of A Wooden Christmas, Sports Stories tribute to the great teacher and coach, UCLA basketball legend, John Wooden. Lynn Guerin, the founder of the John R. Wooden Course, a man who spent the last years of Coach Wooden's life with him, is our guest. The first two episodes of this tribute, like this one, is available on our website at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Also want to remind our listeners that each of the Sports Stories episodes are available as both an audio podcast and a video podcast. The video podcast on YouTube includes images and archives that support the story, including today's guest Lynn Guerin knocking down his introductory jumper on the backyard hoop at the 7428 studio location. Finally, the upcoming two episodes of Sports Stories, publishing January 9th and January 16th, will feature a two-part interview with the legendary Hall of Fame sportscaster Randy Rosenblum, who, incidentally, was the play-by-play man for the UCLA basketball broadcast in the late 70s with none other than a retired John Wooden serving as the analyst. We hope you'll join Sports Stories for a Randy New Year. John Robert Wooden, a man born in 1910 that would die in 2010, had an impact on me my whole life. I worshiped the great UCLA teams he coached in my youth. Then, as a coach and athletic director, I read his books, used his quotes, and taught from his masterwork, The Pyramid of Success. As a parent, I would continue to lean on coaches' teachings. My son Vaughn, who was born in 1992, and my daughter Sienna, she was born in 1995. As they grew up, they heard plenty of stories about a man they had never met that had retired some 20 years ago. The book that may have been Coach Wooden's most valuable, at least in my eyes as a parent, was Inch and Miles, The Journey of Success. I read this book often to my children, and while they learned the important life lessons from Inch the Inchworm and Miles the Mouse as the two completed a lesson from their wise teacher to find the meaning of success, I came to realize just what an important man John Wooden was, and it went well beyond his coaching. He, like great thinkers and philosophers, was continuing to teach all of us that listened. There was something else that struck me about Coach Wooden, and it had to do with his presence. He was always an engaging speaker in a homespun, Midwest kind of way, but I saw something else in 2005 at Occidental College near Pasadena, yes, the same school that our 44th president, Barack Hussein Obama II, attended. On a tip from an ex-student of mine, I heard Coach Wooden would be speaking at Oxy during the lunch hour. Coach was 95 at the time, and not knowing if this opportunity would present itself again, I pulled my son and daughter out of school and headed from Venice north on the 405 freeway to the 10, to the 110, to the 5, to the 2 freeway, exit Eagle Rock Boulevard, and bam, you're there. That's how it's done in L.A., people. Anyhow, my 10-year-old daughter, Sienna, shall I say, was a restless youngster. Other parents would drop her off after a play day and proclaim, she is quite a character. Hmm... Yes, I know what that means. Thank you very much. But as Coach spoke that day in Thorn Hall, Sienna sat silent and listened intently. It was as if Buddha had appeared and mesmerized her. I'd never seen her that attentive, ever. 
I brought paper and crayons to occupy her, and yet she sat still and listened to the master. The speech was close to Coach Wooden's birthday, so Sienna made him a birthday card with the paper and crayons. I told her she may not get to see him after, but when Coach finished his presentation, Sienna walked to him without hesitation to hand him the card. As a line formed behind her, Coach spoke to her for what seemed like a long time, especially if you're waiting in what was now a long line. I'm pretty sure Sienna told him how much she liked inch and miles, then gave him his birthday card, which he read and admired. He then signed one of her blank pieces of paper, making sure he spelled her name correctly. For Sienna, love John Wooden, UCLA. In the previous two episodes, we've covered John Wooden's youth in Indiana growing up on a farm, his achievements as an All-State and All-American basketball player, the beginnings of his teaching and coaching career, and, thanks to the weather, his choice to take the UCLA head coaching job in 1948 instead of the one at Minnesota. At UCLA, Wooden's teams immediately raised their level of play, winning 22 games in the school's first-ever conference championship in his first season. They would win eight conference titles over the next 15 years, despite a substandard gym and no real home court advantage. Poly Pavilion, the Bruins' home court today, would not be built until 1965. The team was often forced to share practice time with various other groups in the UCLA men's gym, which was built in 1932, the basketball team often getting only half a court for practice. The wrestling team needed the other half. Even high school teams get a full court to practice on. Could you imagine these days the complaints from parents the athletic director at, say, for instance, Sierra Canyon High School in Chatsworth would get if the team had to practice on half a court? LeBron James would be sure to let Rock Pillsbury know that Brownie did not go to Sierra Canyon to practice on half a court. But Wooden and UCLA made the most of it those days and continued to win. Given that the wrestling mats were stored in the UCLA men's gym and they were saturated with sweat from use, the place became known as B.O. Barn. The L.A. City Fire Marshal had deemed the men's gym unsafe for any crowd exceeding 1,300, so the team had to play their home games at a variety of locations in and around Los Angeles, including the Pan Pacific Auditorium, the Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena, and even Venice High School, Go Gondos! By the time the Bruins won their first NCAA title in 1964, UCLA was well prepared to play any and everywhere. The next 12 years between 1964 and 1975 boggled the mind. Not only did UCLA win 10 out of 12 NCAA titles, including seven straight, they had four undefeated seasons and set another record with an 88-game winning streak. 88 games in a row. But all dynasties eventually come to an end, and so it was for UCLA basketball in 1975. The same year our country was dealing with a post-Watergate, Nixon impeachment hearing hangover, somehow Gerald Rudolph Ford Jr. had become our 38th president and long told us that our long national nightmare, nightmare was over. Is over. Hmm, recurring nightmares are a thing, right? Anyhow, speaking of substandard facilities, the NCAA Final Four was held at the San Diego Sports Arena in 1975. The best thing about the San Diego Sports Arena is that it's in San Diego and it's not even in the nice part of town. This is about 10 years before the then Buffalo Braves would move into the place and stink it up even more as the San Diego Clippers. But I digress. In the 1975 NCAA Basketball National Semifinals in what is now the Pechanga Arena San Diego, 
UCLA staged a stirring come from behind overtime victory over Louisville in the semifinals to set up a championship game against Kentucky, a classic Blue Bloods matchup. In the locker room after the semifinal game, Coach Wooden addressed his team with a surprise announcement. 15 minutes before I decided to retire, I didn't know I was going to retire. I went to the dressing room, congratulated my players on a fine game. I said, I want you to know how proud I am of you. You gave me no problem on or off the court all year long. And that's a pretty nice thing to say about the last team you'll ever coach. Their faces dropped. Ducky almost fainted. My assistants almost fainted. The director tried to spend most of the night talking me out of it. Came as a complete surprise, but we should, because it was a surprise to me. I have no regrets. I knew I was leaving outstanding material for whoever would follow me. And just one of those crazy things that it was the right time. Wooden's retirement would not only stun UCLA, but the basketball world. There was, of course, one more game to play for the NCAA championship, one that would be the last game John Wooden would ever coach. The pressure on the UCLA team was immense, but they, like all of Wooden's teams, were well prepared to deal with any situation. The Bruins sent Coach out with another championship, beating Kentucky 92-85 with tournament most outstanding player Richard Washington leading the way. John Wooden, the only person to be inducted as both a player and coach in the Basketball Hall of Fame, who navigated and adapted his teaching and coaching with tremendous success in the post-World War II 40s through the fabulous 50s, the counterculture 60s, and into the protests of the 70s, was now a 65-year-old retiree. John Wooden was just starting a new phase of his life. His seminal work, The Pyramid of Success, would continue to influence more and more people. He would write and speak, visit with former players, coaches, and friends, and continue to teach us all what was really important in a life well lived. In 2003, John Robert Wooden received the nation's highest civilian honor as he was presented with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. But above all the awards and accolades, he always cherished his family and the time with them the most. Sadly, after 53 years of marriage, Coach lost the love of his life, Nell, on the 21st of March, 1985. For the next 25 years of his life without her, on the 21st of each month, he would write a love letter and place it under her pillow on her side of the bed. Towards the end of his life at 99 years of age, Coach was asked if he was afraid to die. He answered that he was not, and then, from memory, recalled a poem written by one of his former players, Swen Nader. Why should I be afraid? That's the most wonderful thing that will ever happen. It, it really is. Absolutely, I'm not afraid to die. Once I was afraid of dying. Anymore. Once I was afraid of dying. Terrified at never lying. Petrified at leaving family, home, and friends. Lots of absence from my dear ones brought a melancholy tear once, and a dreadful, dreadful feeling of when life ends. But those days are long behind me. Fear of leaving does not bind me, and departure does not hold a single care. Peace does comfort as I ponder a reunion in the yonder with my dearest one who's waiting for me there.
John Wooden lived an extraordinary life. That life that began in 1910 came to an end in 2010. Along with 5,000 others, I had a chance to bring my children, now five years after they saw him speak at Occidental College, to say goodbye to Coach at a memorial held in Pauley Pavilion at UCLA, right on Nell and John Wooden Court. The stories that day from players, family, friends, city leaders, and a host of admirers were a testament to a great man that taught us all so much more about life than about basketball. It was in the final years of John Wooden's life that he met today's guest, Lynn Guerin. Lynn, a highly accomplished businessman that has consulted with several Fortune 500 companies, recognized Coach Wooden's lessons were ones that could serve others as a roadmap to success in many facets of life, including business. Lynn, a man with hard-earned successes of his own, was able to convince Coach Wooden into a collaboration to develop the renowned John R. Wooden course. Now that I've dropped, Vaughn, Siena, Inch and Miles, Occidental College, No Drama Obama, Buddha, Sierra Canyon High School, LeBron James, Rock Pillsbury, Brawny, B.O. Barn, the Pan Pacific Auditorium, the Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena, Venice High School, Tricky Dick, Mr. Nice Guy, the San Diego Sports Arena, the Buffalo Braves, the San Diego Clippers, Richard Washington, Swen Nader, and Nell and John Wooden Court, where Coach's dearest one is with them. Here is my interview from the Sports Stories 7428 studio in Westchester, California, with the Chief Executive Officer of the John R. Wooden Course, the man with a knockdown jumper, Lynn Garrett. How's it going, Lynn? It's great. You get a, you get a uh, great to be with you. You get to spend a little time on the 405 River there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think Siri had some strange idea about how I should get here because the route was pretty secure to it. Circuitous. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um, how'd you do on your shot out there? Uh, well, I took the uh, the John Wooden approach at mm -hmm. uh, 12 feet to the right. Yep. You got to bank it. You're always going to make a much higher percentage of shots if they're banked. I banked it. I made it. Nice. Um, <laughs> I remember that when I was a kid, um, you know, because it's when I was watching John Wood and stuff, but it was one of my older cousins. We were watching a high school game, and a guy pulled up and knocked down a 12-footer, just like you say, with that bank shot. And that was the first thing he said. He goes, oh, Coach Wooden. And I, that was one of the first times when I was young getting that cross-reference of how much he had, you know, influenced everything in and around not only L.A., but, you know, the country. Well, he had schooled his team so well uh, on that shot. If you were a UCLA basketball player and you were to the right or to the left, uh, you were going to take the uh, the shot off the board or you probably were going to get a little bench time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, there was one uh, – we went to go see Coach. My wife and I went to go see Coach uh, speak. And, of course, you know, for years I'd always been the Coach Wooden um, guy. And so – he, uh, you, you submitted these questions in advance, you know, on an index card, and then they pick out a few. And mine didn't get picked out, but hers did. And, but he, and, he, and, and the question was along those lines. It was, uh, how, what's the best way to motivate your players? And he goes, well, I've always found a seat next to me on the bench. It was quite a motivator. <laughs> yeah. Well, he'd also said that uh, one of the best ways to motivate was the uh, – pat on the back even though uh sometimes the pat needed to be a little lower and a little <laughs> right. harder so, yep. he sure did yeah so um i love uh what you brought here um so for our our just our podcast listeners it's a 
Why don't you explain it a little bit? It's beautiful. Well, it's a, it's a custom uh, piece of uh, wood carving, uh, the Pyramid of Success, that was uh, built by a, a vice president at uh, the In-N-Out Corporation, you know, one of America's uh, better companies in the fast food business. And a number of years ago, we did a uh, team camp uh, for them. We actually took their top 200 executives through a full-day okay. uh, John Wooden Pyramid of Success course. Mm. And uh, one of the vice presidents, who happens to be obviously a very accomplished <laughs> yeah, uh, worker, woodworker uh built this actually Beautiful. he built uh, three of them he gave uh one to me he gave uh, one to coach wooden and uh also one to the uh, family so wow, there's three beautiful. of these out there someplace that and did, did coach put his in his den uh he had it in his den for a while i think it got donated uh, probably with everything else to ucla and very well could be somewhere in their okay. hall of fame exhibit on campus they did a nice job on the remodel with the poly pavilion uh on the out out the outer ring of poly pavilion and they they even recreated his den oh yeah it's wonderful yeah that's it's uh it's a tribute to the the man that that built it essentially it should was supposed to have been built years and years before it got built he was promised i think uh when he signed his original contract with ucla that he was going to have a new facility within two years Mm -hmm. and i don't think it came for 16 or 17 (laughs) years but once it came, I don't know. I think his record was 179 or and two in that <laughs> yeah, building or something. It so, sure was. Uh, yeah, coach didn't lose too many at Pauley. Um, so then, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in uh, northern Ohio, a small town about 10,000 people in Shelby, Ohio. In Shelby. Yeah, north central Ohio, about halfway between Cleveland, Columbus, and Toledo, right in the center uh, I, of the I state. Vis- I visit Ohio often, and um, they they it, I love the sense of the community that surrounds athletics there yeah if you uh if you grew up in ohio uh you know it was all about sports interesting uh just uh, a weekend or so ago i attended um the funeral services or the memorial service for willie Knowles, sure who was one, one of, of coaches, coaches early yeah. all americans and you'd say well what does willie Knowles have to do with <laughs> shelby ohio well shelby ohio was the birthplace of my uh hometown hero, a fellow named Larry Siegfried, okay. who played for the Boston Celtics. He was captain of Ohio State in the 1960 team, and he ended up playing with uh, with Willie on the Celtics. In fact, okay. they became fast friends, and uh, they were even roommates. So I had met Willie through uh, some men's ministry work. We became good friends, and we got a chance to talk about my hero and his roommate. Uh, so nice. Shelby, Ohio, and Willie Knowles from San Pedro, uh, uh, and yeah, one of yeah. Coach's first All-Americans had sure a great was. relationship. Willie Knowles made a big impression, I know, on uh, then Lou Alcindor, knowing that uh, he, he could see other African-Americans that had an opportunity to succeed at UCLA and could be, you know, active within the like the student government on, on campus. And, and UCLA was particularly good in that area. Yeah, Willie had uh, had a remarkable life and had a tremendous impact on on so many people. And he was part of the recruiting process that brought uh, Lou Alcindor to yeah. UCLA. He was uh, the first black captain of a, of a pro sports team, the New York Knicks. And Willie was also uh, 
the uh, a member of the first starting five in the NBA All Black players. Wow! With Bill Russell and the Jones boys and Satch Sanders. You know, at the end of this uh, podcast, I'm going to give you a quiz, and and I'm already getting the feeling you're going to do fine. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody worries about the quiz at the end, and, and this one's going to be on wooden, and I'm like, uh oh. Well, he, he are goes you can do, yeah, he goes deep. Yeah, if you're a coach, you wouldn't disciple. All you can do is do your best, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now, uh, what your parents? Uh, did how did they get to Ohio? Were they were they born there? Uh, good question. Uh, I, I'm not really sure how my parents uh, got to Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, grandparents uh, were in uh, grew up in that small town area too. So okay. I'm I'm not sure what brought them to Ohio. What did uh, What did your old man do? That's a great question. <laughs> Not much. Uh, okay. I didn't have, uh, I'm a third generation abandoned son. We I had uh, fathers that didn't take too good a care of their sons for 105 years in my family. And that's really one of my connections to John Wooden and trying to be a, trying to break that chain in my own family. Uh, when John Wooden, as an example, teaches loyalty on the pyramid of success, mm-hmm. it really uh, speaks to my heart. Because I understood from a life standpoint what happens when there isn't any loyalty sure. um, in a family and, and uh, how that impacts you. And uh, it's when, when I get a chance to teach the pyramid of success and talk about loyalty, it, it's especially, I think, poignant for me because it, it really is a life-changing concept when uh, you oh know God. men take care of their kids and take care of their family. And the kind of man John Wooden uh, was is the kind of man and father... I think you, we all you, try to be. We all aspire to be. Yep. Yeah, I got that from you when we first met. Because um, uh, it was, uh, why don't you come a little over here because I don't want your cord to knock over this okay. wonderful <laughs> piece of work here. Um, when we first met at uh, Christos, is that what it was? Christos, the. Yes. Um, for lunch, which was close to where my boy went to school at Loyola, and, uh, at Loyola High School. And you immediately started talking about your boy and how he's doing in, in high school. And I could tell you're, you're that kind of guy. Yeah, he's uh, connecting to basketball. He's playing on one of America's best high school teams right now. He plays at Rancho Christian mm-hmm. in Temecula, and they're a top 10 uh, team in the country uh, this year with a fellow named Evan Mobley, who is uh, yeah. the number one player in the country in the class of 220, uh, of 2020 and supposedly of you know maybe a top one, two, or three draft choice for the NBA. He's going to USC uh, breaking our heart, the UCLA fans. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But they hired his father, and they also assigned his uh, older brother, who played at Rancho Christian as well. So wow. um, still uh, pretty involved in, in basketball, and, and it'll be a joyful season. We're going to travel all over the country watching the kids play yeah. high school basketball this year. That's unreal. Um, How did you get involved in the athletics? Were, was it through your school? or? Uh, yeah, I, um, you know, I was a four-sport athlete uh, in high school and uh, went to – uh, Western Michigan University on an athletic scholarship. Oh, wow. So, and, you know, grew up with a, with a hero like uh, Larry Siegfried. So mm-hmm. I followed sports uh, my whole life. I'm a sports nut, uh, particularly uh, baseball and basketball and football. Right. And then was it in high school that you started to uh, think about, you know, wow, I can get, you know, I can play in college. Yeah, I, I think so. It was really, a, 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 as a 10-year-old, watching Larry Siegfried be the best high school uh, basketball player uh, in the state of Ohio and thinking, well, geez, if, if that could happen uh, to somebody like him, you know, maybe I could do something with sure. my life. And uh, I had a fourth grade teacher who was particularly encouraging at that time. And I would go to all of uh, Larry's games and keep track of all the points he scored nice. and come back the next day and 
tell the story to my fourth grade teacher in the class and she could see the spark and she helped to light the spark. Oh, that's that's uh, excellent. Do you know, you, you remember her name? Sure. Her name was Geneva Hoyman, H-O-Y-M-A-N. She I only taught it. one year in our school, but she changed my life. That's, that's terrific. I yeah. love those kind of stories. They she make, actually uh, made a, a promise uh, to me. Uh, she said, Lynn, if you make the varsity basketball team at Shelby, and I know you will, I'll buy you the blazer you'll need to travel with the team. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Did you cut, did you circle back around for that or was she, uh, she, she, she left a year later, but it didn't matter because the seed was planted. The promise was made. I did make the uh, varsity basketball team, uh, you know, when I was a sophomore, junior and, and senior. And wow, it, it didn't matter. Miss Hoyman had just said, hey, I appreciate what you're trying to do and who you are. And I'm going to support that. And man, that's the story with every the possibility for every teacher in the country today. And kids need it so badly. That's what we're trying to do in teaching the pyramid of success yeah. in schools. That's what that, you know, and you're, you're giving you know concrete uh, ideas and um, and structure to being able to inspire young people. Um, yeah, we'll get to that. So tell me a little bit about Western Michigan. Did you enjoy your time there? Oh yeah, uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, mm -hmm. was about 350 miles from my hometown in Shelby, Ohio. Uh, I didn't have any transportation, so I had a lot of interesting journeys hitchhiking back and forth <laughs> from Ohio yeah. to Kalamazoo. That's how I got back and forth to school. And uh, and uh, the head coach at Western Michigan's name at the time, I think, was Bill Doodlittle, and he was a friend of my high school coach. Uh, and uh, they actually played together at uh, Mansfield with another fellow named Paul Dietzel, a okay. Hall of Fame coach who I, went I on to uh, LSU. Yeah. yeah, so okay. uh, it was a great experience, a long way from my hometown and just a great place to go to school. I'm still a, a Bronco fan. I, I did a master's degree there before I left as well. And so uh, Western's certainly got a sweet spot in my heart. My Actually, my younger brother ended up going to Western Michigan and graduating from there after he got out of the Air Force. So did um, we love the Broncos. Where after Western Michigan, did you come out West or? or? No, I actually, I worked in the Midwest for a couple of years. I worked for the uh, for Johnson & Johnson, an hmm. industrial division of J&J &J for a few years in sales and marketing. Then I went, went to work for General Electric. Uh, and then I went to work uh, for a consulting company uh, and training company in the Detroit area. And uh, from they had a lot of business in the automotive area. They were a, kind of a captive agency to General Motors and mm -hmm. did some really big time work in the car business. And eventually that's how I got to California when we won a project to launch the Infinity Division of Nissan. I see. And I moved to California to spearhead that project and then invent a luxury car company. And ironically, that's eventually how I met John Wood. The, the, um, the Detroit way. Um, it, it seems I, I, you know, I often listen to different interviews and stuff and that seems to be a, a thing. Like there's a certain, um, work ethic and an ability to reproduce your best efforts time and time again. Um, is, is, is that something that rubbed off on you being around the car industry? Oh, well, I think that work ethic was planted long, bef long before uh, I got to that. Uh, I think the work ethic was planted by my, uh, by my mom, uh, you know, who raised, uh, who raised three boys uh, without an education, without ever having a good job, but being just a wonderful, hardworking woman. Uh, my grandmother was the same way. She managed mm -hmm. actually a five and 10 cent store. Oh, wow. When I uh, grew up, it's where I got my first job. But those <laughs> those two women showed me what it meant to, uh, 
to care and to work hard and, and taught me the value of, of work. I'd say there was a time they may have had some jobs that I wasn't too proud of that the fact that they held it, but that's, you know, that's the mm -hmm. silly pride of a young man. Yeah. But, you know, what they showed me was what the real value uh, of hard work was and, and what it meant just to do right, the right things for the right reasons. So you came out this way uh, on, the, on the Infinity Project. Yeah. And did, where'd you land and what part of California? Uh, yeah, Southern California. Yeah, we set up an office uh, in Irvine. Uh, I initially lived in Irvine okay. uh, when I moved out and been here ever since. <laughs> and, and were you married at this time? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was married. And, yeah. and now remind me, do you, I know you have a son. Yeah, I actually have two sons. Two I sons. Have, yeah, I have an older son who's now out here uh, with my two grandsons. He's a, uh, a director at a company called Pacific Dental Services, okay. where we actually did an awful lot of John Wooden training. We actually helped, uh, I'd say, build that company on some of the foundations and principles of the John Wooden course. Yeah. And uh, so you, 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 uh, you got out here to Irvine started working on that infinity and did that lead to your consulting business or you came out with your consulting business well the company that i work for um that did that project they were in the consulting training mm. and performance improvement world they were really one of the pioneers in that business uh and at one time there was more industrial video shot in detroit than any place on the planet around sure. the car company so uh we were deep into the consulting and training field uh, but I left that company before um, I left California and started my own business. And it was in that process that I got a major contract with the University of Toyota, mm -hmm. met John Wooden, uh, began working with him. How, and did, that, how, did, how did the Toyota and, and Wooden connect? Uh, in launching the University of Toyota, they wanted to develop some management and leadership modules for all their their dealers and for their executives okay and one of the ideas was uh improving coaching for managers and uh we went out and said well let's find the best coaches on the planet bring them in put them in front of a camera interview them talk to them about what coaching is all about and when you were looking for great coaches there obviously the first place you'd look would be john wooden sure uh, i didn't know coach wooden at the time but i had another client who knew someone who did know him okay so i was able to get an introduction to meet coach uh bringing him into the process uh and we developed a did, did, did coach think you're an impersonator of him <laughs> <laughs> you look you know you resemble him right oh People i do tell you I, this? A yeah, little bit. yeah you do you look like coach during when he was winning all his championships yeah, yeah. well no <laughs> that's I, the coach i remember i don't think so so at that time <laughs> if that was uh 1998 Oh, well, that was well beyond. Uh, well, so Coach, yeah. at that point, our business, I mean, our relationship started when he was 88 years old. Wow. And lasted, uh, obviously, until he uh, passed away. Still lasts because I'm still in business with the family, which we have been since day one. What was that initial meeting like? Uh, well, the first time I met Coach Wooden uh, was, I almost can't describe it. It was, it, it left you breathless. Mm -hmm. uh, and... He had, uh, he had such a, a, a peace and a sense of grace and humility about him, but uh, a sense of quiet strength that, that just, spoke, just spoke to you. And, you know, you couldn't be in John Wooden's presence without ever walking away and feeling like, you know, right. I, I need to be a better person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, 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 yeah. that's If something. I could be just a little more like this guy... You know, I think my uh, I think my life could be a little better, and I think I could do a better 
job uh, as a dad, mm-hmm. you know, as a as as a leader in a company, you know, whatever it is you do, you just felt like he could help you be better. And that's really what the John R. Wooden course is all about. I had shook his hand a couple of times at UCLA games. He was always so accommodating. He'd sit in that same seat. But I hadn't really, you know, had any interaction with him. Um, and then um, an ex-player of mine was going to Occidental College and called me and said, hey, coach, John Wood is speaking at my campus today. I can get you in. You know, I said, oh, great. And I took I actually took my two children out of class to go there because who knows how many times. And it was probably right around that time yeah. that you're mentioning. And because I think my daughter was about six or seven and my son, you know, nine or ten. Now, my daughter sitting still for her was a big project. There had to be multiple activities in order to keep her in her chair at any level. And what was so fascinating, it was as if she was like looking at a levitating Buddha. <laughs> she she was transfixed by this guy. Yeah. And, and it was so impressive the way that um, he was able to just keep her attention all the way through. Then she finally, I think, um, made a little picture and get, came and gave it to him. And it was so sweet. He had so many people wanted to see him. And he spent a good eight, ten minutes yeah. just talking to her yeah. about how she drew that and how she was doing in school. Yeah. And it was so sweet. He was such a And just like I had the same feeling. I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's a top guy. <laughs> that's a top guy. Yeah. His, uh, he, he, he had time for everybody. And I, I traveled with him uh, on a number of occasions, flew cross-country with him a couple of times, uh, you know, spent many, many hours uh, with him at the condo there in Encino. Um, he had a particular technique that worked well with kids, um, you know, in the condo in Encino. He always had lots of these little jars of candy all around, particularly orange slices. Those were one of his favorites. <laughs> okay. So he'd always get out the orange slices. I took my young son, uh, Cole, to his place uh, a time or two, and uh, the orange slices always worked. Always oh, oh, got them. Now, okay, so you, you had this initial meeting, and then I would imagine you had to, you know, earn his trust and and he wanted to make sure you're a, of of have some level of competency, so that if he was going to launch a course with his name on it, I'm sure he he wanted it to be top notch. Yeah, well, it was a couple of years from the time at which that initial meeting uh, came together and the early projects uh, that we worked on, a number of them in the automotive industry, where I was able to put together speaking engagements and things mm. for him. So it was probably at least a couple of years before then, um, you know, I really became knowledgeable of all of the content and information and the pyramid of success and his coaching model and all those things that really represented mm-hmm. you know content that that we might use so it was maybe two years later when i uh sat down and wrote what was a about a five-page letter uh scheduled a meeting with him took the letter to him and gave him was, a vision was, for was what the, was the grammar appropriate on this letter oh I man hope. i yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, you know, you and to... <laughs> gave him a vision of what I thought the John R. Wooden course could be, how we could work together, and all that. And uh, yeah, and interestingly, that meeting uh, we spent at least a couple of hours together. And after going through all that, I mean, uh, I can still see him today putting the letter kind of on his on his nose and kind of tilting back his head and just saying, "Oh, this is a wonderful vision, oh, okay. Lynn." But I I don't think I'm going to do it. Oh wow. Is that right? So uh, after all that work and the development of the relationship and all of that, uh, John Wooden said no. And uh, one of the things I'd learned in the couple of years of working with him, that John Wooden's yes was his yes and his no was his no. Mm -hmm. But when he said no, I didn't hear no. (laughs) What I heard was, well, maybe we're not 
quite there yet. You know, I, I immediately pictured the pyramid of success and went through the blocks and said, well, you know, maybe I haven't worked hard enough or um, we just haven't connected. I haven't done enough of my homework uh, yet. Maybe I'm not, I wasn't enthousi enthusiastic <laughs> enough. And I sort of went on skills. Maybe he doesn't think I've got the skills it'll mm -hmm. take to develop that. So in my own mind, I quickly ran the tape on the pyramid, taking it all the way to the top and, and saying, well, this is definitely the opportunity for competitive greatness. John yes, Wooden has said no. Be at your best when your best is needed. Yeah, what am I going to do to turn that around? So we worked uh, together another year Okay. Uh, on some other really good, nice projects and nice fees and things like that, things that uh, had an impact on the companies we were working with. And then we had an opportunity to take 300 managers from Nissan to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And we built a 15-foot, 20-foot pyramid of success and put it on oh, stage. That right? And uh, our task for that meeting was try to get 300 managers from all across the company who were working in six or seven divisions, uh, trying to get them all to have one jersey on, to be on one team. The executive okay, vice president sure. of the company at the time said, I got a, I got a lot of great players but we got too many teams going here yeah. and I've got to get them all in the same Jersey. Oh, wow. So we constructed it a day that helped them do that. And we literally did that physically, put them all in the same shirt. And, 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 and that was a big, like, was that the beginning of a lot of the curriculum uh, or the core yeah, of the we, John R. Wooden course? Yeah. We put together a you know, really nice set of materials mm -hmm. for that. And some of that uh, eventually ended up into the John R. Wooden course. Hmm. But uh, it was after that meeting, uh, actually, mm. his daughter happened to be uh, there, and Craig Impleman, my business partner, actually was there. And uh, I guess he, they thought that we did such a good job representing his content, and they saw the professionalism with which we conducted the meeting and so on. And so I, I got a call a day later, and they oh, said they changed it. their mind and wanted to move ahead with the wooden course. So he, he, he checked you in the game. Yeah, he did. It was it, what I, another thing I remember about that meeting was the idea of getting everybody in the same shirt. There were actually a couple of people who came down from their room to start that meeting and didn't have their shirt on. Mm. So we had maybe 300 people, 298 people had the same shirt on and there was a couple of outliers there in the audience that didn't have their shirt on. And uh, Coach Wooden found a very subtle but powerful way to call attention to them. And I can tell you, at break time, they ran up, put their shirts <laughs> I on, love it. and, and I love came it. back down. And we uh, had everybody sitting there in the same jersey. That's like with with uh, Bill Walton when he came back after after winning the championship and with his long hair. He's yeah. like, I've earned the right to do this, Coach. And he says, Yes, you have. Yeah. I'm sure, gonna miss you here at UCLA. Yep. <laughs> and he went and quickly got his hair cut. <laughs> yeah. Coach Wooden yep. had a had a powerful way of drawing attention to things uh, in a, in a proper manner and uh, enabled people or gave them an opportunity to do the right thing. Had you, um, were you, I'm sure you're aware, nobody could not be aware that left basketball of Coach Wooden's great success, but were you aware of the pyramid of success and his teachings like as you were coming up when you were in college and, and as a young person? I can't say I was aware. I mean, there wasn't anything or anybody out there that was teaching uh, the mm -hmm. pyramid of success. I mean, I think at that point that just represented a little bit yeah. of what John Wooden was about. It was something that was hanging, uh, you know, in his office, but, you know, there wasn't really... Uh, there may have been a representation or two uh, out there on the pyramid of success. Uh, you know, there may have been a version of it sold in the UCLA bookstore. Yeah, I, I, I don't it, know. Right? But we just started doing 
a lot of homework. There was maybe a book or two that had been written uh, mm -hmm. at that time. A fellow named Brian Biro had written a book that had some elements of it. Um, and then he had started to work with uh, Steve Jameson yeah. on, you know, two or three really good books. So, um, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't aware of of the Pyramid of Success. And I certainly didn't grow up with the Pyramid mm -hmm. of Success on my refrigerator right. and followed those principles. <laughs> uh, now, what I knew is, or what I found out after working with him for a number of years, that a lot of the things that he taught and that he was all about was easy for me to recognize because I saw them in the men who coached me mm -hmm. in my high school. We had a we had a great group of really professional uh, coaches. A gentleman, uh, Bill Wilkins, who coached in my high school for some twenty plus years, and is in the actually three of those uh, four four of those five coaches are in the Ohio High oh, School. Nice coaching hall of fame that's how good our little staff was and so the things that they did and the way that they taught and the way that they cared and who they were as men and the level of integrity and the way they treated their families and all of the things that represented the best of john wooden i'd seen those things you'd and they'd that. had an impression on me and as a kid growing up without a father it was just one more example man a coach can be a life changer particularly for men yeah. Uh, you know, if they don't have strong men in their life, hopefully they'll find a coach that can help show them what that all means. When I uh, first got involved in coaching, you know, I always had this big plan after my NBA All-Star career <laughs> to settle in as a coach. And I said, I'm just going to win like John Wooden did. And I read all through, I think, a couple of books, one with Bill Sharman, another was Modern Practical Basketball. Yeah. And um, he's just never brought up the word win. It was yeah. all about the system. It was about working with people. It was about... Um, you know, so so many things that really laid a foundation for me to be able to uh, be a coach and have success. And um, I got to imagine he's done that for so many people in their like life work, um, whatever they are. If they if they follow that and, and now the course that you have, um, you know, that's that's a prescription right there. Yeah, the unique things uh, in my mind, the things that were particularly unique and powerful about Coach Wooden. One was um, the quality of the foundation on which he built his life, the values he learned uh, from mm -hmm. his parents, uh, you know, his, his approach to things, uh, his propensity to always want to do the right thing and always thinking about things, uh, you know, in a proper way. Uh, th that was so important. He also had this incredible uh, amount of self-discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, even people who are very knowledgeable who, uh, uh, you know, could be very successful, sometimes lack the, the self-discipline it takes and go to one of the blocks on the pyramid, self-control it takes mm -hmm. to get yourself organized, to keep yourself organized and to be disciplined enough to do all the things it takes to be successful. John Wooden had remarkable uh, self-control, self-discipline, uh, and then his organizational skills were so superior the way he organized his time, the way he followed through on details, the way he organized his uh, practices. Yeah, I copied those. Yeah, you know, he was a, uh, I, I think what was in my mind particularly unique was he had this desire to go to Purdue and be a bridge builder. Hmm. Uh, he wanted to be a civil engineer. Uh, and ironically, he, he couldn't take the engineering curriculum because he had to work through the summer 
Mm. Uh, they had a summer a program he had to be part of, but he couldn't, so he had to drop out of the engineering school. That's how he got to the English uh, curriculum. Oh, I see. But he never stopped. I mean, he mentally, he was very much an engineer. He had this ability to 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 see big picture if he was going to build a bridge, what that bridge would look like. Every span, he knew exactly what it looked like. He also had that great left side ability to see every bolt that was going to be required, <laughs> yeah, yeah. every bar of steel that had to come together. So he could see the big picture. He could break it down into the small picture. He had the ability to pull all that together. He sure did. And then as a leader, he had the ability to lead him across the bridge. That's right. So I, I think John Wooden spent his whole life building bridges, mostly that, from uh, that's places that, people wanted to go to or, or thought they were to the success that they wanted to have. so interesting. One yeah. of the ways I used to explain to my teams was his explanation of <clears throat> a car being like a team. Yeah. And not everybody can be the engine and not everybody's going to be, but you know, but how important the windshield wipers were. Yeah. And if that lug nut came off and that wheel comes off, the car doesn't go anywhere. And that's really interesting because that sounds like an engineering mind at work there. He had, yeah, he had, he had that unique ability to think like an engineer and to speak that like a poet. Yeah. Yeah, he sure did. Uh, so that, that was, uh, he, he had a remarkable mind that was remarkable you're uh, la you you spent the last what 14 years of his life with him 15 years uh, like actually from 98 to 2010 so yeah or 96 yeah. to 2010 so and yeah. and, and, and he had such a a great recall like poems yeah. to teams to instances you know uh, unreal. He, yeah his memory was remarkable I, it, I, I thought he had a photographic memory he said he didn't but you know Swen Nader uh, one of his players used mm -hmm. to write him poems uh, he'd get it in the mail, and you know, a day or two later, he would have memorized it. And <laughs> so yeah. I don't know how he could possibly not have had a photograph. Of course, memory. yeah. yeah. Um, I, I also thought something that had caught my eye early on. I think um, our great columnist out here for the LA Times was Jim Murray, and he wrote this um, beautiful column about Coach Wood and, and talked about his devotion to his wife, especially after she passed. Um, I think he put a, a letter under her pillow for, for on, on what her birthday or yeah he would yeah he would uh you know this is part of the story uh, when we think about loyalty and teach mm -hmm. loyalty and uh, you know when john wooden teaches loyalty he, he he demonstrated it with every ounce of fiber of, of who mm -hmm. he was as a person particularly in his devotion to his wife uh you know he um he lost her said it was the only time he ever fell off the pyramid of success you know he mm -hmm. went went into a really bad place uh, but eventually came back because uh, through the birth of a of, of a grandchild yeah. but his devotion to uh, to her was just remarkable he wrote her a letter on the 20th of every month That's which nice. was the day she passed away and she, he he did it every month for over 20 years and he would take those letters and take them to the cemetery and he'd read them to her and then he'd bring them home and he he'd he kept them in a stack uh, on the, uh, by the bedside, and they were tied with a pink mm. ribbon of hers, uh, which was just remarkable. And he also had this, you know, I he mentioned that he, after she passed away, he never slept uh, under the sheets of the bed mm. because he thought that was a place that was only for the two of them. That's so that sweet. level of loyalty and intimacy was just wow. beyond comparison. Um, 
And so when you, I think John and Nell Wooden, I'm hoping someday there will be a movie made. I hope so too. Because right? I think John and Nell Wooden is one of the greatest love stories never told. Uh, I, I, I'm with you on that. And I love the first time I went to Polly Pavilion and saw that it was Nell and John Wooden Court. Yeah. Like he just knew the coach, yeah. coach got what he wanted there. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think the world knew how influential. I mean, we we we've come to find out more and more, but how really influential on him uh, she was uh, at really important times in his life, mm -hmm. and even early on as she got him to take a speaking class and and things like that that helped him come out of a shyness. He mm -hmm. was a, really a pretty shy guy, if you can believe that. One of the great communicators of our time, but it was things that. She encouraged him to do that uh, that helped make him who he was. I, I found also um, really nice his, the, his players, his former players, or even um, his colleagues, his coaches, that would come back and visit him in his den or, or go to the, you know, uh, have breakfast with them. And one, he was always so accommodating, but you could just feel this sense of love that was coming back to him. Yeah. 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 He set the tone. Uh, you know, for what that was all about, when he would always say that the two most important words in the dictionary were love and balance, that mm -hmm. really defined his life. Um, even in in the den, he had these two bookcases. He had two bookcases and carved bookcases, and on one uh, bookcase was carved the word love, and on the other one was mm -hmm. carved the word balance. So, uh, you know, that's one of the concepts we teach uh, in the wooden course. If you can surround your life with those two things, love and balance. Uh, things are going to go, going to go better. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's been recognized the pyramid as like this masterpiece and it's really nice that you, um, are a part of it and have this chance to quantify it and spread it, you know, through, through the John R. Wooden course. Yeah, I think, uh, my personal opinion, and now I've been, I've been looking at it and studying it and teaching it, uh, uh, trying to understand it at, at different levels now for almost uh, 20 years. And uh, my personal opinion, uh, as a just as an individual who needs help with every one of these blocks <laughs> every day of my life, uh, you know, to be the kind of person I'd like to be, uh, I, I think it's the single most powerful definition of what successful behavior looks like. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and not just to be successful, kind of as our world would define it, but to be successful as Coach Wooden defined it. You know, mm -hmm. the pyramid of success all points to John Wooden's definition of success. Which, which you know, previous to that, his, his knowledge of it was more based on material items, like, you know, uh, attaining either wealth or something along those lines. And, and I felt like he really redefined success towards being at peace with yourself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah, that you did started your best. yeah, that started very early when he began to think about what success is and he recalled uh, going through some sessions where a class had defined it and uh, you know, it's ironic uh, he, he will defer he or he will refer to a Webster's definition of success uh, mm. that refers to, you know, the accumulation of material possessions or the attainment of a position of power or yeah. prestige. And it's ironic how much of that definition still is the primary definition of success that it seems most of the world is pursuing. Mm -hmm. But uh, but when Coach said success is really about four things, it's about peace of mind. Mm -hmm. It's about self-satisfaction. It's about the effort you make. And it's the effort based on the capability you have to be your best. 
and the world can't tell you uh, what success is. You have to know in your heart. You have to pursue it in your heart, and ultimately only you know whether you've given your best in any given situation. So it's it's really a lifetime blueprint, more than a lifetime. I, I, I think it's a generational blueprint. Uh, one of the reasons I'm still doing this is that there is a whole new generation of young people out there who need to know yeah. who John Wooden is, what he stood for, what he thought about. All of the foundations that made his life great are still the things that can make people's lives great today and do it in a way that not ha has all the controversies that mm -hmm. surround yeah. the life that we live in today. I feel, you know, I think kids are under so much pressure uh, today. You know, I have a high school senior and, you know, the pressure to, to get into college, uh, the pressure of social media, the pressure to have tens of thousands of friends in your Snapchat or Facebook account, <laughs> or not Facebook. He wouldn't go anywhere near Facebook. That's for mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. It's, he's, he's somewhere else. But, you know, these kids have all these friends, but they have nobody to talk to. Yeah. They have all these yeah. friends and they all these connections, but they don't have anybody that they can share their heart with yeah. or their troubles with. That's or, where the balance and the love come in. Yeah, it's somehow technology is supposed to have connected us, but uh, it may have connected us technologically, but I think it's disconnected us from our standpoint of our heart and our mind and the things that we really should be thinking about. Well, you're fighting the right fight with what with what you're uh, you're putting out there. I love spreading the message. Um, so let's see how successful you're on our quiz here. <laughs> All right, All we right. have to go. Let's see. Okay, I got a few questions for you. Okay. Uh, what year was Coach born? Nineteen uh, ten. You know his birthday? Uh, his birthday uh, just happened. I think it was uh, October fourteenth. Very good. Yeah, <laughs> I knew we were close to it here. Um, uh, interesting on on that one. Um, we used I used to run a big uh, fundraiser volleyball tournament that was really popular that all the Catholic uh, grade schools would come to at a school at St. Mark's. And we'd take over, and it would be huge. We'd block off the street, and it was big, and I'd always have a guest of honor. And so we always kicked around. I said, man, I'd really love to get Coach here as a guest of honor. And so for whatever reason, I had his phone number, and I said, all right, I'll give it a shot. And I called, and he goes, hello? And I recognized that voice, and I got so nervous. I hung up on Coach. <laughs> I said, I couldn't yeah. believe yeah. he would answer his own phone. And I was like, I bre breathe for a second. I call back and he goes, hello. And I go, uh, coach, this is, you know, I'm sorry. I, I did hang up on you. And he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> and I said, we, and he goes, well, uh, I'll tell you what, it sounds like a great thing and I, I would do it, but that's my birthday and I'll be spending time with the family. And I was like, okay, thanks coach. <laughs> but yeah, I hung up on coach Wood. Yeah. I got two words. All right. So, uh, what high school do, wouldn't go to? Uh, well, he, uh, Martinsville. That's right. He Martinsville, did. Indiana. And, uh, they won the state title. No, do you know about what year? Uh, the Artesians, I think it may have been around, uh, 1927. You are on fire, buddy. Yeah. Okay. Um, so coach, uh, and Nell were married in 1932. And what did they do on their honeymoon? What, uh, concert did they attend? Uh, they went to hear the Mills Brothers. That's right. They did. Yeah. And coach <laughs> said he thought they were going to sing all night. <laughs> yep. I love that. The Mills brothers are, are, are brilliant. He had, uh, like that's Mills, just one of the little stories he tells. And, and Coach yeah. had a wonderful sense of humor. I don't think that's, yeah. I think that's one of the things that people don't know and don't appreciate. He was a very funny man, loved 
jokes, knew a lot of them, memorized a lot of them, had a lot of great stories, loved to laugh. It's one of the reasons he and Swen Nader were such good friends. Right. Um, the Mills brothers influenced my uncles and my dad, who were the Lennon brothers, who would then in turn, like the Andrew sisters, influenced the naming of the Lennon sisters, you know. Yes. So the Mills brothers, that always caught my attention. And then I actually, like, got some of their songs down. And they're brilliant. Yeah. And they're great. I yeah. can see why Coach liked them. Um, so uh, this is pretty easy for you. He's a three-time All-American at what college? Purdue. Boilermaker. He led the Boilermakers to two Big Ten titles and what national championship? What year? Oh, I guess the national championship would have probably have been in 31, 32, 32. something like that. That's yeah. the season, buddy. Okay, while he was playing basketball at Purdue, he was nicknamed something. The Indiana Rubber Man. <laughs> That's right. Go ahead. Explain that. Well, uh, I think he got that nickname from the, the way in which he played the game. He was uh, uh, really muscular. He had great speed. He had great hops. Coach said he could dunk the ball at 5'9", five, 5'9 nine, five, nine and a half. And he, he ran awesome. around the floor playing a tough defense, and he was always bouncing up and off the bounce floor. Right so, yeah. yeah, so he'd bounce right up, and that's where he got the nickname, the Indiana Rubber Man. That's sometimes... When you see pictures of him, uh, yeah, I mean, he, man, he, he was, was just rocked. buffed. He had... Yeah. He had some guns on him that were really uh He, he, really he did, special. and I think that's lost in the um, in the telling because people kind of start with the pyramid and they go, sure, he was the great coach. Yeah. And then that's where they leave off. They forgot he was the best player in the country. He was the Michael Jordan of his day. He, he, he was well-known well outside yeah. of the Midwest when it was really a regional sport. Yeah. What, um, what was his first coaching job? It was a high school. Uh, Dayton, Kentucky. God, you're on fire, buddy. I got a feeling this was going to happen. All right. So following uh, his discharge... He went to what college to uh, coach? Indiana State. He sure did. Um, what was it called then, though? Uh, I think it was called Indiana State Teachers College. Yeah, that's right. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So that was in '46. Okay, so at Indiana State, he uh, completed his master's degree. Do you know what he got it in? Poetry, I think, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I usually would have got somebody by now, easily. Um, he turned down an offer to coach the Lakers. He did. Uh, do you know a little bit about that? I just I just put an asterisk next to it because I, I've heard that. I just never really had the full story on it. Yeah, I think I think it was actually close to his retirement time, and Jack Kent Cook was uh, was uh, owning the Lakers at that point. And I think uh, there was two things: he was offered a million dollars a year, and this was for a guy who never made more than thirty-two-five, <laughs> and and a and a lovely condo on the ocean uh, that was probably the only reason he even considered it uh, briefly was because it was something that was so possibly so special for his wife. Well. But I use that as uh, I use that story actually as an example for coach's orientation to money. Uh -huh. uh, you know, it's just he, he thought the more you had, the more complicated it made yeah. your life. More money, uh, more and problems. The, yeah. And the more difficulty it put you in. So he didn't need a million dollars, and he didn't take that job because he wouldn't have the opportunity to teach and coach the game, yeah. which is really what he loved to That's do. That's what I heard. Okay, he coached uh, 27 seasons at UCLA. How many NCAA titles? Uh, he won uh, NCAA titles? Yeah. Yeah, he won uh, 10, seven mm -hmm. straight, uh, won 10 in 12 years, went on a run 10 in oh, no. 12 years. Took him 15 or 16 years to, to get, get the there, first but, one, but yeah. yeah. As Coach said, once he learned something, he knew it pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> How many games overall do you know? 
That's uh, a tough one. I got to. I think gotta somewhere around six hundred and forty-six. Something you're on like fire. Six sixty-four. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. All right. Yeah. So, um, his, he had a, they had a record-winning streak of how many games? Eighty-eight. And how many undefeated seasons? Four. Four thirty and zero seasons. Yeah. That's remarkable. Yeah. Uh, Connected that interestingly, he used to have this little uh, little thing he did every year where he would uh, at the beginning of the season yeah. write down the number of wins that he thought his team would have, and he'd st- put it on a little piece of paper and stick it in a drawer, mm-hmm. and he wouldn't uh, look at it till the end of the season. Uh, and connected to that, he I think he said twice he thought he would have undefeated seasons. Uh, one year he didn't have it, and then there was another year he had it and didn't think he'd have it, but ended up having four. And what was so fascinating <laughs> about the way he prepared for teams is he prepared his team. Yeah. Like he wasn't into scouting reports, and yeah. he had he knew a little bit about the other team and yeah. who would guard who, but yeah. that was about it. Yeah, I think it uh, it was said of his teams, everybody knew what he was going to do. They just couldn't stop him. They did it so well. Do you happen to know what he was honored with as a – in 1972? Uh, well, he was probably uh, 72. I it was don't, a magazine. Uh, Sports Illustrated yes. Man of the yes. Year. Yes, golly. Yeah. Golly, he's so good. Okay. Um, so he announced his retirement, won his 10th national championship. Who did they beat? They beat Denny Crum and Louisville uh, in the semifinals, and they I think they beat Kentucky in the finals. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. Yes, they did. Um, I mentioned that Louisville game uh, yeah. prim- primarily because he thought maybe that was one of the best games that was ever played in college basketball, and Denny Crum was assistant and very much, you know, cut in, in the wooden uh, cloth, and he thought those two teams played as well as they could possibly play a college basketball game. He felt bad that either team uh, that one team had to lose, but he was happy. Said that the right team won. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Denny Crum was was rumored to have been the one to succeed, coach, but instead they went in a different direction. Yeah, surprisingly. Right. Yep. Yeah, and they they've been trying to find that direction ever since. They have been. <laughs> they really have been. Yeah. Lou Alcindor and Bill Walton, we all know, were great, but he won how many championships without those two? Well, he would have won. Let's see, three. He would have won. Uh, Two with Bill, I guess. Three with Kareem. So he would have won five championships. He without. sure did. Yeah. Which, which every time people want to say, "Oh well, you know, you got Look lucky on had. your first couple," and then you had no. Yeah. Like he won. Yeah, he won with everybody. Yeah. Um, you already mentioned this that he, he fifteen seasons before he won his first one. He happened to know between college and high school what his winning percentage was. Uh. About eighty three, something eight thirty, something like that. It was, it was over eight thirteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's astounding. It is astounding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the two times we talked about ten championships over twelve years. So one of the years that they did not win was nineteen sixty six. Who won it that year? Uh, I think that was sixty six. Was that uh, the Texas Western it team? Was. The time the all, first time an all black team had uh, won the NCAA's. Absolutely correct. And the other time was in nineteen seventy four. Yeah, I think that was. Uh, <laughs> 1974 I wouldn't say was that not villain uh, was that that wasn't Valvano's team was it it was Valvano's university but okay. it wasn't his team yeah so that was uh, NC State and North Carolina State yeah with yeah. Um, David Thompson David Thompson I think Norm Sloan might have been the coach yep yep all right um, 
So they had that 88-game winning streak. The, that was the year that Walton didn't, right? <laughs> right. And, and oh, I wanted you to talk a little bit. Do you, you happen to remember that? They used to have a third-place game at the NCAA tournament when you lost in the semis. And I think Coach came back and didn't play the seniors because his rationale was their season's over and he was getting started with the next crew. Do you remember that story at all? I don't, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, yeah, I that don't. That was interesting because eventually they got rid of that third-place game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think he started that. So um, UCLA went on that 88-game winning streak. They started it with a win over UC Santa Barbara. Who ended it? Uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame sure did. Digger. Digger. Uh, you already you already told me this one. What were his team's records at Poly Pavilion? Yeah, I think it was 179-2. and two or, Yeah, 149-2. and two. Yeah. That's, just, that's something else. Um, what did Wooden win on July 23rd, 2003? Uh, was that the Presidential Medal of Freedom? Medal of Freedom, nation's highest civilian honor. He sure did. Um, he wrote several books, including a book for children, which I enjoyed reading to my children. Yeah, Inch and Miles, The yeah. Journey to Success. That's, yeah. a, that's a really important book because that book is used uh, in a number of grade schools across the country as, um, as kind of a template for character behavior. I'd mm -hmm. like to see it taught in every school. Uh, grade school in America. If we could teach our kids the pyramid of success growing up and they learned those behaviors all the way through college, uh, man, I tell you, it'd be a very, very, very different world. Uh, we actually have built some tools around Coach Wooden's pyramid of success assessments mm -hmm. uh, that you can, can take that actually maps your own personal behavior on the pyramid of success. It's called the individual success assessment it's on our uh, website woodencourse.com so you know trying to see where your own behavior is uh using the pyramid as a template is uh it's a great great idea i'd like to see it uh, actually i've got an appointment today to talk to the uh, dean of the business school at ucla about that very subject that's great how we might use that uh within the environment at ucla to help kids set a standard for their own behavior based on the pyramid and work on improving it over the period of their college uh, experiences well whatever a small part we can do with the podcast to spread the word uh make that that part of it makes me proud and it was really nice talking to you today oh, that was great, great. i enjoyed great it very you, much Thank thanks you. lynn very much we hope you enjoyed the third installment of the wooden trilogy and stay tuned to the end of this podcast for a song from nell and john wooden's favorite the mills brothers we encourage everyone to visit our website at sportsstoriespodcast.com and please consider rating us and giving us a review on Apple or wherever you watch and listen. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is supported by the AAU. Find a local event and join at aausports.org. And remember, you can catch your favorite amateur sports live stream, replays, and highlights at ballertv.com. Sports Stories, along with East Bay, supports the Heroes Movement, a nonprofit that bridges the gap from mental or physical therapy to getting strong again through strength and conditioning workouts. This free service is available for any veteran of the United States Armed Forces. Visit heroesmovementusa.org for more information. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc. and is available on Apple Podcasts and YouTube or wherever you listen and watch. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. It really helps spread the word. You can find all our social media links, archives, and other info on our website at sportsstoriespodcast.com. 
Original music for Sports Stories is courtesy of Lennon Music Productions. Special thanks to the John R. Wooden Course and Wooden's Wisdom. Sports Story staff includes Marley Rice, Teresa Dolan, Bob McCall, Michael Lennon, Sienna Lennon, Brad Lawson, Christine Jimbo, and Jake Downey. The snow is snowing and the wind is blowing, but I can weather the storm. What do I care how much it may storm? For I've got my love to keep me warm. I can't remember a worse December Just watch those icicles form Oh, what do I care if icicles form? Oh, I've got my love to keep me warm Off with my overcoat off with my glove I need no overcoat I'm burning with love My heart's on fire The flame grows higher So I will weather the storm What do I care How much it may storm I've got my love to keep me warm The snow is snowing The wind is blowing But I can weather the storm What do I care How much it may storm Oh, I've got my love to keep me warm I can't remember a worse December Just watch those icicles form What do I care if bicycles form? Ho, 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 I've got my love to keep me warm Off with my I'm burning with love My heart's on fire The flame grows higher So I will weather the storm What do I care How much it may storm Oh, I've got my love to give me Check it out, book!